Welcome to this episode of the Structural Engineering Channel, a podcast focused on helping structural engineering professionals stay up to date on technical trends in the field and also to help them succeed in their careers and lives. In this episode, we will be talking with Don Scott, Senior Principal at PCS Structural Solutions. Don will be breaking down the ASCE's new pre-standard for performance-based design. I am your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as an engineer, but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers build their core or soft skills. Through this podcast, we try to bring you information that can help you succeed in every single episode. Now, my co-host, who you are about to hear from, Matthew Picardle, is also a licensed engineer, a structural engineer, practicing in California with an undergraduate degree from Cal Poly Pomona and an MS in structural engineering from UC San Diego. He also hosts the new YouTube channel, Structural Engineering Life, through which he focuses on promoting the structural engineering profession to engineering students and young professionals that are not familiar with the industry perspective. You have to check out Matt's channel. He is getting a lot of traction In fact, his recent video on salaries of structural engineers published just a few weeks ago already has over 16,000 views. So he's really doing what he set out to do, which is bring light to the world of structural engineering to try to promote and inspire the next generation of structural engineers. I'm excited about this episode because it does cover this new pre-standard that I'll tell you a little bit in a moment. But what I'm also excited about is having sponsors for this podcast. This podcast is totally free for our listeners and our sponsors help us to keep it free. So we do ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. Computers and Structures Inc. is recognized globally as the pioneering leader in software tools for structural and earthquake engineering. Software from CSI is used by thousands of engineering firms in over 160 countries for the design of major projects. CSI's software is backed by more than four decades of research and development, making it the trusted choice of sophisticated design professionals everywhere. Listen up later in the show where I will tell you more about their great software packages and how they can help you. We also want to give a shout out to the American Society of Civil Engineers Structural Engineering Institute, known as SEI. SEI is a dynamic community of more than 30,000 members from around the world advancing and serving structural engineering while influencing change on broader issues that shape the entire civil engineering community. You can gain technical, professional knowledge and leadership experience by participating in your local SEI chapter or graduate student chapter at an SEI conference or through an SEI committee effort. And SEI has been really helpful in helping us come up with some topics and guests, of course, for this podcast. And of course, we're talking about an ASC pre-standard today. In this episode, Don Scott, not only does he break down this new pre-standard for performance-based design for wind, however, he really gives you examples of when you should use it or think about using it and why. And it's really interesting to hear him talk about some of the specific portions of the building and how the seismic and the wind has to come into play and how they interact and things of that nature. So we really, really enjoyed having Don on to really break this down. I think you're going to enjoy that. And in the end of the episode, in our Elastic Modulus segment, he also talks about a very stressful career situation for him that was really interesting and inspiring. So stay tuned for that at the end. 
Now, let me just tell you a little bit more about Don Scott so you get to know him before I turn it over to Matt here. Don was mentored early in his career by company founders Ray Chalker and Lyman Skip Bush on the idea that working with all members of the construction team will provide the best outcome for the building owner. And Don continues to preach this integrated project delivery approach within PCS. And you can hear kind of the sentiments through this interview you're about to hear. Don sits on multiple national engineering boards, including currently serving as chairman of the ASCE 7 Windload Subcommittee, which sets the standards for windloads on buildings, and as president of the board for the Applied Technology Council, ATC. Don helps lead PCS Structural Solutions as director of engineering and ensures the company stays up to date on the latest design techniques and building code changes. Don has led teams designing numerous significant healthcare and educational projects. Don is highly active in his local community, church, and Boy Scout troop, but most of all enjoys time with his wife, kids, and grandkids. So here's my co-host Matt Pagardal with Don Scott. Now we'd like to welcome Don Scott, Vice President and Director of Engineering of PCS Structural Solutions and Prime Investigator. Don, before we dive into discussing the ASCE SEI pre-standard for performance-based wind design, could you give us and our listeners an overview of your career as a structural engineer? It said I'm a Vice President of PCS Structural Solutions. We're in, up in the Northwest Seattle-Tacoma area and have offices in Seattle-Tacoma and Portland. I have been with PCS for 37 years. So when you talk about my career, it's all been in one location. Our firm designs a lot of hospital work, healthcare facilities, a lot of higher ed facilities, a lot of K through 12 facilities. And I've done all of those throughout my career, but currently specialize really in healthcare and mostly in hospitals. And we've done hospitals mainly on the West Coast area, but throughout the country as well. That's really pretty short uh, thing, but uh, again, being with one firm, not a lot of movement around. But with that, working here at PCS, I've also done a lot of work on the national level on code development. Have been involved with ASCE 7. For those listeners that are structural engineers, they understand what ASCE 7 is but it's the, co- it's the load standard that's used in the United States. And I've been involved with that, the writing of that since 1996. And uh, that's what led to the work on the pre-standard. I'm currently the chair of the uh, wind load subcommittee for that document that determines the wind loads for um, buildings uh, design in the United States. So that's what led to the work on the pre-standard. So yeah, it looks like a very long career with PCS and also volunteering and being involved in the ASCE 710 code developments. And as we'll get into uh, next, uh, that's how it kind of led to it too. Before we get into the wind design standards, SEI received a research grant from the Charles Pankow Foundation for $150,000 with co-funding from the ACI, AISC, ASCE Industry Leaders Council and the MKA Foundation. Can you tell us a little bit about the Charles Pankow Foundation? Charles Pankow Foundation, of course, uh, set up for its namesake. Uh, Charles Pankow was a really a civil engineer, but went into the construction industry and was a large contractor. 
I'm not 100% sure of that, but I think primarily in California, did a lot of concrete uh, construction throughout, like I said, California. And well, I think probably a national firm, but uh, mainly was headquarters in California, uh, probably a better way to say that. And they developed, Charles decided that he wanted to start this foundation that led to improve design and construction throughout the United States, make us more efficient in our designs, make us more efficient in our construction. Charles Pancow Foundation was formed, and it has really started funding research, funds other things that do solutions. So not only like something like the pre-standard that was done, but BIM integration into our workflow in the construction and design uh, workflow industry. And all those type of stuff, they really work with the industry to try to improve the processes that we use for design and construction in the United States. So wonderful organization that uh, graciously funded this effort. Oh, very cool. Yeah, it seems like not just for the civil and structural engineering industry, but also the construction engineering industry. And looks like they do research and or fund research projects that definitely help out the efficiency of what we all do to make our built environment. They do. They're wonderful to work with. So on to the pre-standard. So what's the purpose of the ASCE SEI pre-standard for performance-based wind design? Well, the purpose, of course, for any document that deals with performance-based design is to kind of allow us as engineers and designers to go beyond what's in our prescriptive codes and look at that and look at use our engineering education and our engineering ability that will allow us to come up with systems and or designs that they meet the intent of the code but don't meet the letter of the code and use those type of systems that will further innovation really in the design of large structures could even be a small structure a highly critical structure or something that really doesn't meet the, like I said, just the prescriptive rules of the code. And so that's what kind of started our the thoughts on performance-based wind design. The other thing that would, would do is we realize, if you look at seismic design, we utilize the nonlinear capabilities of the building in seismic design to resist seismic forces. We've never used the nonlinear capability in wind design of buildings or of structures to resist those wind forces. And we don't want to go very far in the nonlinear range for wind design because wind events happen a lot more frequently than what the seismic events do. This allows a little bit the building to use that reserve capacity that we have in our buildings. Technically, by the code, none of your members in a Structure should go nonlinear in a wind event, but we know that uh, they can a little bit go into that nonlinear range and still perform adequately and successfully for many, many years. And so that's what we're trying to look at is use some of that reserve capacity and to allow for systems that aren't, don't meet the prescriptive requirements of the code to be used to design a structure for a wind event. So it seems pretty similar to what they've done in seismic, at least in terms of the West Coast with performance-based design. Is that kind of how the process was utilized in the pre-standard, kind of just seeing what the seismic prescriptions were for 
performance-based design and kind of implementing that into uh, wind design? A good example, believe me, we relied heavily upon what the seismic design community has learned using performance-based design and looked at those procedures and how they could be implemented in wind design. Wind design has some different requirements to it than what seismic does. You know, there are fatigue issues in wind that we don't look at in seismic because the events in an earthquake are so short relatively. I mean, there might be a minute or two minutes long where a wind event such as the hurricane that just hit the Bahamas lasted at maximum sustained winds for, you know, more than 24 hours there. So we have to be cognizant of fatigue and stuff in wind that we don't really worry about in seismic that much. So there are some differences in the design, but we relied heavily upon what had been done in seismic performance-based design and modeled the pre-standard after many of those concepts. For structural engineers that are just hearing about this, what should they know about it? Is there like a specific ideal scenario of when it's going to be used? I think in general, at least in the West Coast from the ASCE, you know, the 716 that's coming out looks like wind loads are getting lower with seismic forces going up, at least in the West Coast from what I'm aware of. Is this mainly to be used like in high wind regions or could it be applicable to, I guess, lower wind regions? It can be applicable any place across the country. And one of the specific things, first of all, your characterization of the wind load going down across the country are correct. And seismic forces going up generally on the West Coast are also correct generalizations of what's coming out in 716. But specifically, let's think about it on the West Coast for a really tall building. Seismic controls the bottom two-thirds of the building or so, and then wind might control the upper third of the levels. We didn't use a performance-based design and allow some nonlinearity within the system. The Keeping everything elastic at the top of the building actually required some of the member sizes down below in a tall building to be larger than what they would want for seismic and actually adversely affect the seismic performance of the building. Like I said, just because we're driving those member sizes up, making them more stiff, those type of things in a performance-based design for a tall building. This will allow that on the West Coast, even though it's a high seismic area and a low wind area, will allow those use of performance-based design in both of those to make it more compatible with the tall buildings and more compatible with the seismic performance-based design requirements and allow that building to perform better from a seismic standpoint, as well as then use some of that nonlinearity in the upper levels that is caused from the wind forces and like I said, keep everything in tune with each other instead of fighting each other like it had on previous codes. So on the West Coast, even though it is a low wind area, it can be very beneficial for the design of taller buildings that we have. In some areas across the country, of course, as you go to the East Coast and we go to the Hurricane Coastline, particularly in Florida, Miami area, yes, this will benefit taller buildings or any building in that area. You can use the provisions for. And there are also, of course, mission-critical buildings or high-value targets that you look at some of the stadiums or some across the country that will utilize these 
provisions to give better performance that they would have in the structural system for their buildings. So it's not only for tall buildings. Originally, when we started to think about it, we were going to write only for tall buildings, but instead of only being for tall buildings, it does actually can benefit lower rise buildings instead of the tall buildings. One of the big benefits we really see in it is to improve the cladding and roofing the envelope design for these type of structures across the country. That's where in a wind event where you get most of the damage, of course, is in the loss of the envelope or the cladding. And then you lose a lot of, because of the rain that comes typically with a lot of our wind events, enters the building and damages the building. We lose all the contents. This way, there are some prescriptive requirements in the pre-standard that requires for enhanced requirements for the cladding and the envelope design of the building, which we see as a great benefit to a lot of the structures that we design. That's one of the standards. So I guess in summary, it can be used in the West Coast, like you said. I didn't think about that. That's pretty cool. Like the seismic controls two thirds of it, but then also the wind might control the top. And that way you can just design the whole structure to be nonlinear instead of just the bottom two thirds nonlinear and the top thirds elastic, which is kind of backwards or competing against each other. And also the East Coast too, but it looks like with cladding and roofing, it looks like that's kind of one of the performance standards that you guys implemented in there that could be like, hey, we don't want this cladding to be penetrated during a high wind event. That way, everything, it's kind of like in seismic if you want it to be completely operational. This seems to be one of the standards or performance standards that you guys can implement in this new pre-standard, right? Very correctly. The wind events, like I said, you think about a Joplin hospital or a hospital in Joplin when it got hit by the tornado there. It was totally damaged, totally destroyed and had to be torn down and rebuilt. Now, it wasn't destroyed from a structural frame standpoint. The structural frame had actually survived the tornado, but all of the cladding was gone. And the reason it was torn down is more from the infection control and other things it would have taken to clean the structure and bring it back up to make it a hospital. So it was almost easier and more cost-effective. And I wasn't involved in that, so I'm speculating on that, that it was maybe more cost-effective for them to tear that down and then to reconstruct it, which they did. And then they brought in enhanced protection on the cladding and envelope construction for those type of things in the future, events to occur in the future. They couldn't lose their hospital again. Those are where I can see some major benefits for the cladding and envelope in those type of facilities across the country in almost every one of the hurricanes or high wind events that occur. Hospitals have to be evacuated and shut down and evacuated because of loss of cladding or penetration of the envelope in some way that causes water or affects the operation of the hospital. And so that is a major uh, thing that we want to improve with the pre-standard is that exterior cladding and envelope protection. Especially with a hospital, even though structurally it's okay, but if the cladding is gone and rain gets in, I mean, all that equipment, all that expensive equipment is gone and the hospital is pretty much uh, gone, even though the structural system's still there. For our listeners that aren't too familiar with performance-based design, could you give us like a quick basic summary of how it differs from traditional prescriptive procedures that we're used to? 
In the code, it tells us that we have to design our buildings. I'm going to use seismic as the example because it's probably the most prescriptive within the code. It tells us here's our structural system that we need to use. And for a certain height of building, our structural system is good for a certain height. Uh, And I'm going to use the example for a concrete core wall building. You can only build a concrete core wall building up to 240 feet within the code, actually 180 with some allowances that allow you to get up to 240 feet. But beyond that, that's a system that's not accepted in the code. But almost all of the high-rise buildings in the West Coast that are designed use a concrete core. Let's say our office or residential type structures on the West Coast use a concrete core structure. Many of them are taller than 240 feet in height. And the only way to do that is to use performance-based design to show with a that a core concrete core, let's say, for a 300-foot tall building, it's acceptable. It meets the drift requirements. It meets the stress requirements. It meets everything within the code. Performance-based design would allow you to use that system. Now, everything, of course, has to be peer-reviewed. So you would have to have a peer-review team that would review your design, make sure that uh, you've looked at it properly and everything has taken place, that it meets the intent of the code, and they would review that within those provisions and then work with the building official to recommend that the design meets the intent of the code that they have. So that's performance-based design. You can use it in two ways. You can use it that way to change from what's in the code because your system meets the intent of the code but doesn't meet the letter of the code, as I mentioned before. Or you can actually use it to enhance the performance of the building. Look at it and analyze it and say, I want this building to remain operational or you know have continuous operation through a design event. And that's not what the basis of our code is today. Our building code, of course, is for life safety. And so we design a building currently using the code provisions. We're only designing it in a design event to allow for people to evacuate the building. The building might not be useful after a design event. But with performance-based design, you can say, I want to design it to be operational after the event, or I want to design it to be operational throughout the event. And to do that, you can use performance-based design to look at those options and what's occurring in your building. So it takes a lot of higher level analysis and then to uh, prove that your building can remain operational during that uh, design event to allow the occupants to stay in the building. So you can use it in either one of those ways of changing the what's in the code, the very prescriptive requirements of the code, or to enhance the performance of your building. I guess the pros and cons too, you can either go the typical way that most structural engineers go, but like you're saying, if you need to get past the code, maybe a height limit like you just mentioned, or if your client wants to have like a really strong building and meet specific performance objectives, performance design is, that's usually when it's triggered. And basically the way they, they do that is, from what I see, is nonlinear analysis and all that more complicated analysis. That's the way how they prove it that it meets the intent of the code. But like you said, it does require peer review and everyone needs to get on board. And I think that's one of the, I guess, cons of performance-based design. It's kind of, I guess, newer and everyone needs to get on board at that. 
it might not be as predictable as a typical design. That's correct. Awesome. Do you see this trend with performance-based design expanding across structural engineering and other industries in civil engineering? I can speak from the structural standpoint. Of course, we have standards for performance-based seismic design now, a pre-standard for performance-based wind design, and there is a a standard being done for performance-based fire design. Currently, it's being developed, again, with funding from the Charles Pankow Foundation, so that you can do fire design in your building, which means how do you protect your building from a fire within using performance-based design instead of, again, the code has very many prescriptive requirements on how many layers of sheetrock or how thick of fireproofing we have to put on a building. But this will allow you to evaluate those things based upon truly upon performance instead of just meeting a code prescriptive requirement. And so that's being developed uh, currently. And many other, like I said, thoughts are coming up for, I see the use in many different industries that comes out, even the geotechnical industry, where we're starting to give on a lot of our buildings, we don't design the foundation system, or we give a typical design for a foundation system, but allow geotechnical engineer or a foundation specialist to use performance-based design. We give him the loads and what settlements and what uh, displacements we want to have, and they then use it to design a foundation system that is different than what's within the code, again, peer-reviewed and and everything. So all of those steps are coming out. From other parts of civil engineering, I see the same aspects starting to occur where people are looking at how do I look at performance? And what I want to do is look at the end result of my design and then go backwards. And that's really what you do in performance-based design. You set what you want the response of the building or the system to be, and then you work your way backwards and how I design something to meet those objectives of performance that my owner or I want as as an engineer. And so I see it occurring in, like I said, structural engineering, of course, is probably with seismic being the leader for many, many years, but going to other civil engineering type designs. That's very interesting. I mean, it kind of seems like common sense, right? Like if when you're first designing something, it's how long do you want this building to last? How do you want it to perform? Seems like those should be like the first questions that should always be asked during um, whenever you're designing something new, whether it's a building or a bridge. I guess throughout history, it kind of just got this prescriptive codified standard that we kind of default to. So it's cool to see that it's, it's going back to the performance-based design, especially with our increased technology that we have. So thanks for that, Don. Not a problem. We're going to go into uh, this elastic modulus segment. I'm basically just going to ask you a career question. All right, now it's time for our elastic modulus segment of the show. The elastic modulus is a quantity that measures an object or substance's resistance to being deformed elastically when a stress is applied to it. And so in this segment of the show, we like to ask our guests about a difficult time in their career, which is exactly what Matt is about to do with Don Scott. Now, before we get to that, I would like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, CSI. 
CSI produces five primary software packages, SAP 2000, CSI Bridge, eTabs, Safe, and Perform 3D. Each of these programs offers unique capabilities and tools that are tailored to different types of structures and problems, allowing users to find just the right solution for their work. SAP 2000 is intended for use on civil structures, such as dams, communication towers, and stadiums. CSI Bridge offers powerful parametric design of concrete and steel bridges. ETABS has been developed specifically for multi-story commercial and residential building structures, such as office towers, apartments, and hospitals. The SAFE system provides an efficient and powerful program for the analysis and design of concrete slabs and foundations, with or without post-tensioning. Perform 3D is a highly focused nonlinear tool offering powerful performance-based design capabilities. With CSI products, you can be confident that you have the finest structural engineering software available backed by a company with an unmatched record of innovation and an unrivaled commitment to meet the ever-evolving needs of the profession. You can learn more about them at www.csiamerica.com. All right, back to Matt and Don. Let's hear about this stressful time in Don's career. Don, we call this the Elastic Modulus segment because we like to ask our guests about a tough time in their career where they maybe faced adversity but overcame to get back on track, whether it was a tough career decision, challenge with a client or a project. Do you have one that you can share with our audience? As I explained earlier, my career has been with one firm, so the career choices of moving hasn't been in something that I've experienced. I will tell you that I uh, probably the one that I can think of offhand was a actually in a disaster situation that occurred. It wasn't not a large scale disaster, but a building collapse situation that occurred. And we went through the process. And of course, it was about three years after we had our firm had worked on the building and we had a localized failure in part of the building. Luckily, it was part of the building that we had not worked on. And so it wasn't part of our design, but to go through that and to look at how that affects the occupants of the building, and this happened to be a school, and so how that affected all the students and all everybody that they had going, and working quickly as we could to get the building reconstructed and go. I don't know if it was a tough moment. The part about it that made it tough was you want to do exactly to make sure that it's correct and to find out what caused the failure to begin with. So you want to be very exacting on that so that you don't create something again that's going to cause a failure, but you want to do it as quickly as possible to get that school open, to stop affecting these students' lives and to do those things. And so it's just a highly stressful situation at the time for about three months, getting everything redone. And we had to cordon off part of the school, but typically got it to where they could utilize the school and get things back open again and as quick as possible. Just those events to go through, something you never really want to experience in your career. And like I said, luckily for us in our design, it was not part of the school that we had worked on. It was the original construction that had been there and, and taken many, many years ago ahead of time. But it's just the, you see how much our structures or what we do or what we design, the buildings that we design or the whatever part of engineering that you're in, whatever you do design, how it affects people's lives when something goes wrong. And you know, so that's really, you want to make sure that things are well-designed and 
we want to be invisible, I guess, to tell you the truth. We want to be invisible to the local community. We want the things that we do to be invisible because we don't want them to affect their lives in that way. So that's a great insight. I know from doing this podcast and talking to other structural engineers, that's one of the things that pops out to us, especially you know when you go out to a community when you actually get to see the people that are actually living inside the buildings, you kind of see how important our work is as structural engineers. And it kind of gives it that human element that structural engineers may not be used to, you know, like seeing uh, people uh, crying or just seeing how scared they are because their, their buildings have collapsed. I know that's something that I hear from engineers that first time going out to, you know, some type of disaster zone or some hazards, you really get to see it and see how important our work is. So thanks for that insight, Don really does. Thank you so much, Don, for spending some time with us today. The ASCE SEI pre-standard for performance-based wind design is available as a free download from ASCE, SEI, and CPF websites. We will link them in the descriptions below. I hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and or questions. Go to Structural Engineering Channel com, where you will find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books mentioned during this episode. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. We thought that the pre-standard was a topic that would be of interest to the structural engineering community, which is why we wanted to highlight it. And we believe that Don Scott did an excellent job of doing that for us and breaking it down in this episode. However, we also want to hear from you as a structural engineering professional on what topics or guests you would like us to dig into or feature in upcoming episodes. To contact us, you can go to structuralengineeringchannel.com or you can email me at afasano at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. This is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute. And if you visit our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org, you will find tons of resources for engineering professionals, especially professional development, management, and leadership resources. We have the Engineering Career Coach podcast and the Civil Engineering podcast combining for over 300 episodes. We also have a YouTube channel that we're building. So there's just a lot of free content for you that you can use to develop in your career. And we thank you for listening and for really supporting the show. Lastly, I'll just ask you, if you enjoy this show, please go to iTunes and leave us a review. It's very helpful in more structural engineering's Finding the Structural Engineering channel. Until next time, we wish you the best in all of your structural engineering endeavors. <laughs>